This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 30, Yoga Journal's Live Beat Yoga Tour. My name is Erica and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Jeremy Falk. Jeremy is a San Francisco yoga teacher. His alignment-based bhakti vinyasa that combines discipline with heart has earned him the title of ambassador for companies like Lululemon, Fitbit, and more recently, Yoga Journal, where he traveled around the US and to London documenting yoga's impact in the West. In the last few years, he has also developed a passion in self-exploration and elevation of brotherhood through participating and leading men's work. As always, I really appreciate your support with this podcast. So if you take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or on the iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter a giveaway. Atleta is continuing to support this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. If you want to know more about the giveaway, stay tuned. I'll give a bit more details at the end of the show and I'll announce the winner of our last one. So if you did leave a review, make sure to stick till the end. On that note, take a listen. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're so welcome. I'm so happy to be here. I met Jeremy online and then realized we had many friends in common in San Francisco. I guess yoga is a small world. When I saw that you were an ambassador for Yoga Journal and you were going to travel around to document the impact of yoga in the West, I was in total awe with you. I was so inspired thinking that mm. maybe someday I could do something like that myself. Mm. I knew right away it would be a super interesting subject to sit down and chat about. And I wanted to get an opportunity just to get to know you a little better at the same time. So for listeners that don't know you, let's start with that before we talk about anything else. Can you tell us about yourself and your yoga journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my yoga journey uh, began in 2003, so about 16 years ago. And uh, it was when a college buddy, my, my old roommate, um, finally dragged me to a class. Mm-hmm. He was he was doing yoga and was you know always trying to take me to a class, and I just wasn't that into it, and I didn't really know much about it. And I was more of a, a gym guy and lifting weights. So if I had a few times throughout the week, that's what I'd go do. And um, I finally said, all right. So I went to this yoga class, and it was um, you know Bikram yoga, which was mm-hmm. the gateway for many of us. And this is 2003 in Tucson, Arizona, when we were at college, and. I just remember going into this class in this hot room and I was so humbled by um, Mm -hmm. how challenging and difficult the practice was. And I also remember being very humbled by seeing all these different humans and bodies in the rooms of different shapes and sizes and ages and seemingly different athletic abilities. And there were so many people that were just composed and balanced and in their practice. And here I was this, you know, muscly young 20 something year old. Um, and I was sweating bullets and, you know, barely could hold my balance. And for all the lifting weights and fitness I thought I had achieved, I, I didn't have a lot of control and composure, um, in my own body. And so I just remember being very humbled and all of a sudden the lens widened for me of, what physical health looked like and all the different dimensions, not just, you know, the aesthetics of a body, but what can it actually do? How can it perform? How can it remain calm and resilient at the same time? And so I just, I was blown away. I remember it was so humbled and that Shavasana was like, <laughs> I remember thinking like, what? There's a part where we were going to lay down at the end of class. <laughs> and then when we got to that part, I was like, ah, oh, just totally melted into it and, and into bliss and, and the light bulb went off. So 
from there, uh, that was 2003, you know, I, I became a casual yoga student for uh, about nine or 10 years. And in that time, I still was very athletic and I'd lift weights and I ended up being a personal trainer after college. And I would go do yoga once in a while, you know, sometimes in a month, I might take a couple classes. Sometimes I might go a couple months without practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a very casual student and I just knew it was something I'd go do when I wanted to kind of wring my body out or if I wanted to like get a little more shredded because I really loved what it did for my body and how I felt in that. And, um, and then through my course of being a personal trainer, I became more interested in holistic healing and wellness and especially arts from around the world. And ultimately I decided to save money and do my dream backpacking trip, take some time off, travel through Europe and Asia and kind of soak up and study wellness along the way was my intention. Mm. I wanted to um, broaden my practice. I knew there was a lot more to health and fitness than what I was doing as a personal trainer. And um, back then I had this you know, spark of a dream to run an integrated wellness center one day that combined all these different modalities of breath and yoga and movement and nutrition and all that stuff. So in 2012, I did those travels and I kind of had in the back of my head like, yeah, I'll, I'll make it to India. Maybe I'll study some yoga. <laughs> and then I got to India and, um, you know, long story short, I ended up doing my teacher training there, which is a whole other story. I ended up falling into that. But I, I did my teacher training and it was in that time um, for one month living on the Ganga in an ashram in Rishikesh, the mm. Association for Yoga and Meditation. And it was the first time I'd ever practiced really like pretty much 30 days in a row and had a serious practice where we were getting up at, you know, 4 or 5 a.m. to do an hour of pranayama in the freezing cold dead of winter um, in a marble hall in the river that claimed it was a heated yoga studio, but it had one rickety little corner (laughs) heater and it was freezing. Um, So that was our practice. And we do pranayama for like an hour, hour and a half. And then we'd We'd have an Iyengar practice, and we'd talk about philosophy. We'd meditate. We'd do all this other stuff. We got to do a lot of interesting kriyas um, that are not taught in Western Mm -hmm. um, teacher training practices. I'm forgetting the names, but it's like flossing your nose with the string. And and, uh, and, and some of the kriyas, it's like induced colonics where you make some movements until it's liquid and clean your intestinal systems out. Um, So I got to do some of that stuff, which was cool. And Mm And then I just would leave every day from the ashram, just floating in a different place in my body. And I got to really feel the benefits, not only physically, but mentally. And I was experiencing bliss and calm and just remember kind of floating around and had this crystal clear vision that this was what I was going to do with my life and what I wanted to share with people. Mm. Um, So that trip ended up uh, wrapping in 2013. I I grew up in LA, but I kind of just didn't want to be there anymore. I was ready for some change. And um, I had some best friends living in San Francisco. So in 2013, I moved to San Francisco, totally broke um, from a year of backpacking in a car packed full of stuff, landed at my my friend's place. And they let me basically couch surf with them and another friend for six months while I got on my feet in San Francisco, which is not always easy. (laughs) And I've been in San Francisco for the last six years. And slowly my practice, you know, was personal training and I studied some Thai massage and other stuff. And then I was teaching yoga. And over the last six years, I've really just honed in on being more of a dedicated yoga teacher. It's a practice that I want to share. And I've kind of let the other things go professionally. Mm -hmm. And, um, and now here I am, and it's it's something that I've dedicated my life to, and I love it, and uh, couldn't couldn't imagine it any other way. So the integrated wellness center is not quite in the picture anymore. You know, I think the dreams evolve, and so that's something I'm still passionate about. But mm-hmm. I'm less passionate and about wanting to have like a brick and mortar location right now. The dream has evolved into more of owning land. 
with a with a commune of some families living in community on the mm. land that we can that we can run as a retreat and event space that would also have a lot of holistic arts um, and components to it as well. But being more on the land and having you know a retreat space seems like uh, the dream for now, and that's what I'm working towards. That sounds nice, <clears throat> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just be in nature, live in the land, have people come to you instead. Yeah. Of, Instead of the current yoga business model of running around the city to a million places in a day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So as I mentioned before, you took part into the Yoga Journal Live B Tour or B Yoga Tour. Yeah, Live B Yoga. Can you tell us about that a little bit? What was the goal? What what was that tour? Yeah, so the Live B Yoga Tour is put on by Yoga Journal every year. They're in their fourth year right now. So I got to be basically on season three, you can say, um, Mm -hmm. 2018. And it's sort of their, um, from the ground up investigative journalism. So the magazine, you know, wanted to collect and share more stories and they're in a really interesting process of reinventing themselves, trying to be a little more, um, inclusive and diverse, which they typically have not always really been, Mm -hmm. but they, but they have a lot of stories in the magazine that are very top down. This is what, you know, the publisher and tour guide would, you know, manager would tell us. Um, they get big teachers, they get big names. Here's five poses for this. Here's three tricks for that, et cetera, et cetera. So the tour was their way of sending people on the ground to go to the yoga studios and the communities that actually practice Mm. and collect stories from the people, from the teachers, um, you know, the lesser, no, not the, you know, handful of really top yoga celebrities, you can say, um, and just collect those stories from the ground up and to share the other pulse of what's, what's going on. And so that's kind of their their idea with the tour and it's six months it's a road trip they sent us around the u.s they picked two people um so it was me and another gal her name is eris seberg and we were total strangers before the tour which is its own sociological experiment in itself <laughs> I'm sure. um but for six months we drove around the u.s east coast west coast and they also flew us over to london that was our one overseas stop so we got to do a little bit there and we would blog and create videos and interview master teachers and uh, nonprofit organizations that are bringing yoga into other spaces. We'd take a, like three or four classes at different studios in each city and get to talk to the people that are practicing there and, and just feel the pulse of, of yoga in, in the West and in this country. Mm. So total, yeah, it was a really, really rough job, as I say, but someone had to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was a total dream job, you know, as a yoga teacher. It was was a perfect place for me because it had been about five years in San Francisco. I was a little worn out. I wasn't sure if it's what I wanted to keep doing or where I wanted to be. So the opportunity to take time off from the hustle and bustle, to be inspired by the yoga scene and community, um, and to kind of reevaluate and calibrate my game plan, um, was a total dream to get paid to travel the country and blog about yoga. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Did you feel like that right away when they asked you or at first were you concerned or? No, I was not apprehensive. It sounded like a dream job and I didn't think that I would ever get picked, of course. So they have you send in your application, which is a 500 word blog and, um, and a little video. And the deadline was like New Year's Eve, the 31st on, on uh, 2018, turning to 2019. And uh, or no, 2017 into 2018. And, and I kind of did it last minute. I had done it like the day before I was like, Oh, I really, I really think I should apply to this thing. It sounds, sounds good. And my girlfriend is really supportive and she's like, yeah, totally. So I ended up not totally loving my video and literally like an hour before midnight, we're just hanging with some friends, having a low key new year's. And I was like, I'm going to go re-record and apply for this thing. And I went out into a hallway and I shot this rogue video that I never thought would get picked. And then weeks later, lo and behold, I got the call that, you know, I was one of 
a few finalists that they wanted to fly out and interview. So I was totally blown away, but and and I never thought that I would get noticed. Um, but at the same time, I had this feeling like it was meant to be, and it was really aligned for me. So um, it felt right. Mm. What was your biggest takeaway from the whole experience? Like, what's the one thing you brought back with you? Mm. It's such a hard question because mm-hmm. there's there's so many little things to, to try to boil it into a takeaway. But I really thought about this because I knew you would talk about it. And, and of course, people ask me all the time and I change my answer. But I think one of the big takeaways for me is that you really got to see and feel why people are practicing yoga and why people are practicing yoga has much less to do with quote unquote enlightenment or any other maybe traditionally associated, um, I don't want to say goal, but, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. reason of practice. And it's not so esoteric in that sense. People are practicing because they want to feel better in their bodies, because they're treating a disease, because they're working through mental um, things like, like depression or anxiety or stress, or, you know, they have cancer or they have a bad back. And it's just very... Um, it's very practical and it's helping people so much. I guess it's not really a surprise um, to hear that, but at the same time, one of the things that myself and on the tour, and I think a lot of yoga teachers also wrestle with is like, how do we honor the, the tradition and respect the lineage and where these practices have come from, but also teach in a very modern way to a different group of people that have very, very different needs. Mm -hmm. And so I got to, I got to really feel those needs and those needs are not like transcending the body or this reality or, you know, pulling back the veil of Maya. Um, it's, it's very practical and in their bodies. And I'm not saying they don't also have these goals or that these things won't naturally unravel as people practice for their bad back. And I'm not saying that they're not also worthy things to practice for, but it just was so fundamental and basic to like live well, be healthy. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of influences and changes the way I teach and some of my hangups about maybe not like doing an hour of chanting meditation or pranayama before asana, mm-hmm. In a, mm-hmm. you know, in a 90 minute class, um, because, <laughs> because it's just a different time and, and it's, and people, people really need this and there's nothing really, really like it. So yeah. that was one of the big takeaways. I have so many other little nuggets from all these different teachers and places we got to meet. Yeah. Um, we'll get to other little things. Yeah. Do you think that really changed your perspective on how, or your perspective on who shows up to class and what they need now that you're teaching back in San Francisco? Yeah, I think it definitely has informed me. Um, it, I think it has allowed me to be more calm and grounded in in what we do in teaching a 60 to 90 minute, you know, I teach vinyasa yoga. It's alignment based. I have, mm-hmm. um, influences of, you know, Iyengar from some of my teachers and, and Bhakti as well. Um, but I think like what we're trying to do, I think for me, I, I'll back up a little bit. Having done my first teacher training in India, I was really blown away. It was like, wow, I had no idea about the other limbs. I had no idea about Pantanjali and the sutras. And Mm -hmm. I didn't even do a down dog because I was only in Bikram with those 27 postures. Mm -hmm. So it was so eye-opening to me that I came out of that and I was like, we need to sit down and do pranayama for 45 minutes and yoga is not a workout. And what is all this gymnastics and why we do, you know, and this whole gym culture around yoga. And I came back really in this purest way, like, oh, we need to share the light and, and only teach from the text and not allow yoga to um, 
disrupt into some, you know, gymnastic gym routine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that was always a source of conflict because that's not just, that's just not practically how it's taught, um, in our culture. And so I think my conflict with that has lessened from this tour and getting to see how people are practicing and why, um, because it's really, really valuable, really, really beneficial. And these practices work in the way that we move and breathe. It doesn't always have to be more complicated um, than that mm. fundamentally. Mm -hmm. And so it's relaxed me a bit to deliver a class that is that kind of good experience to lead people in their bodies, but also still finding the ways to tie in the other threads that speak to me personally. Yeah. You know, we have, we all have our things as teachers. We're like, we really align with and other things are like, nah, not my jam, not something I really care to teach as much. So um, it's helped me to blend those things in a, in a way that is more authentically my, my voice, I think, and in of service to people. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. So in all those little other, not little, but other events or other cities you visited, you said that some of them made big impressions on you. Is there one event or one person in particular that transformed you as a student instead of as a teacher? Hmm. Like in the way you practice, it changed something? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> On the tour, as much of a dream job as it was, we, you know, we take these yoga classes, but we're also really, um, we're always working, we're filming, we're doing stories for Instagram, we're, mm -hmm. we're writing. And so the, I was practicing far less as a student on this tour than I thought that I would. Mm -hmm. um, and more from this other um, approach as a storyteller, I would say. But I think... <sighs> I think the way that I practice has been tempered and has calmed down a little bit um, to offer myself healing instead of needing to be this big uh, workout mm -hmm. and to be so intense all the time, which is kind of how I was brought into it through Bikram. It's very, very intense. Yeah. It's extremely hot. Um, it's a really hard practice. And so I think just learning from the teachers and sharing all the wisdom and reminding so much of remembering so much of, of the history and philosophy of service um, and the fundamental thread that I think is really common to all yoga and it's at its essence is to alleviate human suffering, to, to dig out the causes of human suffering by reining in the wild horses of the mind. I mean, whatever yoga you teach, I think that's the fundamental jewel is to alleviate suffering by reining in the wild horses of the mind that get us caught up in attachment and desire. And so from that point of seeing that in classes, I practice from a way that is to like really alleviate suffering, which ends up being more gentle and compassionate, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there one city in particular that you felt there was something magical or more special about yoga there, the community or the offerings you saw? Yeah, you know, if I were going to pick a community for this practice, one was one of the ones that was most impactful was definitely Charlotte, North Carolina. Hmm. How so? And it was it was really eye opening for a lot of different ways. We kind of dug and pulled some threads of um, a lot of stuff that's going on within um, abuse, scandal, and and also racism and lack of inclusivity. And I think they were a, a good magnifying lens for stuff that happens everywhere. Mm. But basically, we went to we went to a talk that was talking about abuse in the yoga community. We just caught wind of it, and we went. We had no idea really what was going on, but there was you know some incidents of a well known teacher there that had some allegations of sexual misconduct, and so their community was rippling from that, and they were coming together to speak about it. And then ultimately what ends up unraveling was so much even deeper than that. Um, we learned that there was this essentially like a rift between 
the two communities there that there was, you know, the yoga studio, mostly white, Lululemon looking crowd um, of athletic, able-bodied individuals. And then there was another community of people of color and people of much different body shapes and sizes that didn't feel totally supported, represented um, when they would go to all levels yoga classes at other studios. Mm -hmm. And so they ended up and they have um, pockets where they practice in alternative spaces, you know, like churches and parks and homes. And there's this whole flourishing yoga community that is not practicing at the studios because they don't feel supported there. And so that was a really big story. You know, it started unraveling because we were talking about the abuse and the way that it came about is, you know, uh, Kelly Carboni Woods spoke up and just talked about how, you know, she was upset that, that black people and people of color and different bodies had, had been suffering at the, at the yoga community, but not being represented, not being addressed, um, including like actual, you know, racist remarks and eye rolls and things like that, that she had experienced as a bigger body black woman yoga teacher um, and why it took a couple white women being abused for the whole community to come together and take action when people of color and different bodies have been um, facing injustice for a long time and nobody got together to talk about it. And so once that thread got pulled, we got to learn a lot more about her and the work that she's doing. Um, there was a woman named Jasmine Hines and Grace Millsap. They were host hoping, hosting this conversation um, and Kelly Carbondi Woods is another activist and they teach classes in different spaces. So we got to take a class with, with Kelly, um, that was all African-American people of color and a lot of different, um, bigger bodies. And it was really humbling because, you know, when you say, when you talk about an all levels yoga class, like oftentimes it's not really all levels. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not appropriate for beginners. And it does assume some level of being able-bodied or athletic. Traditionally, when you'll take an all levels, I'd say vinyasa class, maybe mm -hmm. some others are different. And so this was a practice that was like really actually all levels and actually inclusive. And I could feel confident that anybody could from the street walk into that yoga class and feel like, wow, I'm being taught and I'm learning yoga and I'm not like totally confused and running around and looking up at every, every pose and loss. And that was a really powerful and you know, eye-opening moment, what happened there in Charlotte to learn that um, and the discussions that happened about yoga studios and yoga companies and their ability to be more inclusive by showing and representing people of color and bigger bodies so that they are welcome and want to come to the studios. And then also studios being a little more clear with their labeling instead of maybe every class being all levels have some beginners, have some advanced, like that stuff is really helpful. Um, and it made me look a lot at my own teaching because I've been guilty of it too. I mm -hmm. teach all levels vinyasa classes that I don't really feel are actually for all levels. Um, and so that's really so many important discussions came out of Charlotte and we wrote articles about this. They're all up at libbyyoga.com. And, and I think that informed and changed a lot of the way I view and, and something I certainly try to do um, is, to, is to be a little more inclusive and representative of all levels. Although in San Francisco, you know, an all levels yoga class is a pretty sweaty, you know, athletic experience. Mm -hmm. So in that context, how do you bring it every day? How do you have any tools now that maybe you can share that? How can a teacher here make classes more welcoming to everybody or more inclusive? Yeah, I think one of the big things, and this isn't always easy, is to really accurately label the class. And it's not something that I've actually done yet successfully because it's not easy to get a yoga studio to change mm -hmm. the names of their classes. But 
whenever possible to have something that is tailored towards beginners or, you know, even um, classes for special populations um, can be helpful to those populations. You know, if you have something like uh, queer yoga or people of color yoga, like I think what we heard from, from those communities is that it actually is inviting Mm. and, and makes them feel supportive. And in my classes, I think even just, Always, always addressing a few of the basics, not to assume that everybody knows, you know, how to do Cobra pose. Yeah. You know, to, to really just like walk through every class to the, to the most fundamental level. And then if you want to say, okay, do your vinyasa, like stuff like that, that sometimes is overlooked. I think you have to read your room, obviously. And if you can tell that people are pretty with it and you know that this is like a group of students, maybe you don't have to make that aim. But when you see people in the class that are looking up and moving around, giving that kind of detail, noticing your transitions, like even just from down dog, stepping your right foot forward to come into a standing posture is really difficult for a lot of bodies. Mm -hmm. And it's just something we do a ton of. Mm -hmm. So be a little, you know, to be a little more creative with transitions, like what what Kelly did in her class almost every time was from down dog, walk your hands back to your feet to Uttanasana, stand all the way up and then step forward with your right foot to come into warrior one. And some things like that were just really helpful to help people like not sweat the small stuff of just simply like stepping and getting into a posture. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, that's also really beneficial and as often as you can to host true beginner classes. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it's like a monthly pop-up for people so that they can learn some of the basics and not feel so lost in an all levels, you know, class. That sounds awesome. Was there another city or other event that, made an impression in another way on you or that you wanted to share with us today? Yeah, I would say maybe less so in the cities and more so in the nonprofit organizations and some of the teachers. Um, you know, we got to do yoga in a, in a women's prison in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, where they not only offer yoga classes, but they have a teacher training program so mm. that the women can actually have something to land on their feet with when they get out of prison. Mm-hmm. And that was so incredible. And so there's, you know, nonprofits that are, that are doing that work. And it really, that was impactful because I think some people are like, why do we have to give all these amenities and plush things to, to convicts and people in prison? And why are we rewarding them with yoga and meditation? But like at its essence, that's what a correctional facility is. You don't just put people away and make their life miserable and then get them back into society and expect society to function better. Yeah. If it's a correctional facility, like these tools are so, so powerful. So Anytime you can support a program like that that's doing it in a prison um, is amazing. We did another, we, we got to interview a, a, a nonprofit in London um, called, called Our Mala, O-U-R Mala, and they are working with refugees, um, women refugees from all over the world that have, that have um, come to London and, and England for asylum. And in this community, it's a very trauma-sensitive community, um, they... They, she was teaching basically classes at the Red Cross, and they said it was the single most valuable thing the entire Red Cross was doing for them. This woman, Emily Brett, broke off and started her own nonprofit, and now she has this whole community of um, asylum seekers and refugees and women who have been through just unspeakable horrors, and, and that can totally make you disassociate from your body and all of the things mm-hmm. that come with that. And so these classes are, you know, not just to help them get you know, more open hamstrings, but to bring somebody back home who's been through horrible trauma into their body and then to be able to connect with other human beings is just life-changing. So 
getting to see those nonprofits on the ground and that kind of stuff um, was some of the most impactful that we got to witness as well. Mm. Um, and and just really helps helps motivate a teacher that how powerful this is. Because if you don't step outside your studios or wherever you're teaching, you might not always see the yeah. stuff in these spaces. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I totally understand why you felt so re-inspired coming back um, to teaching <laughs> after... Yeah, totally, totally did. It was a combination of, of all of that, seeing the, the incredibly powerful work, seeing the really humbling down-to-earth reasons people practice, and 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 also seeing tons of, like, you know, questionable yoga. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. there's this thing of, like, anything can be yoga with breath, mindness, and awareness, and as much as I agree with that, there's also this part of me that is like, well, not everything needs to be marketed and sold as yoga just because it has, like, a warrior two in it. <laughs> um, and so you see a lot of studio yogas, you see a lot of stuff that's just like over-marketed, like loud pop music and flashy lights for the sake of an experience or some of the just other weirder stuff that was like, okay, it made me feel like I care about this practice. So I really, really want to play a part in helping to teach and share, um, knowing <laughs> and feeling the assortment of yoga that's out there. It's kind of like if someone's got to do it, you're really happy that it's you, mm-hmm. um, when you kind of see the landscape. And so that was, yeah, that was really inspiring and, and made me really blessed and humbled to be able to share. Yeah. Uh, so obviously we can't talk about every single stops and every amazing and less amazing thing you've seen, but <laughs> if people want to read those articles, are they all available on Yoga Journal? I'm, I'm, I can put the links, but I'm just double checking with you. Absolutely. Livebeyoga.com. Um, and then you can click on content and it's in there from all the different years. And if you're, I have a link on my Instagram profile that goes right to the page um, of the articles that I wrote. Mm-hmm. So you can also you can also search my name on Yoga Journal, and that will come up with the articles I wrote for um, for this tour. Awesome. So I want to get to a couple more little things before we wrap it up. Just talking about you outside of that tour. Um, so changing gears a little bit, you have a few offerings online. I see that you do meditation for Audible, and you teach with. Uh, move with? Yeah, correct. Why did you choose to expand your teaching in that way? What do you like about that? those platforms? Yeah, you know, I think um, I started doing classes with Move With, which is an audio class platform, and they have high-intensity interval training, they have yoga, they have cycling, they have, you know, all these different types of workouts and meditation. And I took to the meditation right away because it just wasn't something that I was I had an outlet for, and I was teaching a lot of vinyasa and hatha yoga. It really actually stoked to be able to have a platform to share meditation with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a draw. And I think anytime with these platforms, we have a chance to increase our audience or share the message that we're really passionate about with a larger group of people. I mean, that's the beauty of the internet. And that's when, mm-hmm. that's when it's being used really well, um, is to help share. So I was I was stoked on that, and then since then, Move With has partnered with Audible to provide them wellness content. So I now have a channel on Move With, I mean uh, on Audible through Move With, mm-hmm. and so I'm recording meditations for them. It's called uh, Morning Meditations for Daily Magic, mm-hmm. and they're meditations you can do anytime. But they're especially nice in the morning, um, and they give you something to kind of focus and be meditative throughout your day. So they range from you know, some breath work to some movement to some seated guided meditation and visualization and mantra. Um, and they're meant to be really, really accessible, especially for the population that thinks, oh, I can't meditate. I think that's when it's been really well received and why I love sharing on these channels, because I can reach people that might not 
come into a yoga studio or mm-hmm. somebody that's just browsing Audible because they like science fiction and they find a meditation channel and they try it and then they get into the practice. So I love, I love that aspect of it. Um, and there, I try to keep it really, really simple. If you're somebody that can sit down for two hours and do a Vedic meditation by yourself, like, great. That's, <laughs> it's probably like, that's a really great place to be. But if you're somebody that doesn't know what meditation is or how to bring it into your life, um, and especially if you think you're too busy because these are all under 20 minutes, most of them are five to 10 minutes, sometimes nice. 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have a, you can have 15 minutes of calm in your morning and then go out throughout your day and kind of remain meditative, check back in with your breath or your intentions, um, so I love, I love sharing this channel. I'm excited to create more stuff. We're doing a lot of exciting things yeah. um, with Audible throughout the year. I'm going to have some more um, uh, different series and volumes to take you through different meditation practices, how to cultivate your own and, um, and just have the most magical morning ever. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any advice for teachers that would want to expand their teachings into online platforms? I know, like I've considered myself, but I felt a little intimidated by that. Yeah, I, you know, I don't have much to share in, ter- in, in terms of like reaching out because um, I, f- I honestly forget how it happened. Once one of the great things of being in San Francisco is there's this convergence of, uh, you know, tech startups and uh, sometimes in wellness and all of that. So you get to kind of just hear about these things as they happen. It's a great city bubbling for that. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember how it got connected. Um, but I did. And I, and I said, yes, I think I don't have, I didn't have to like apply or cut through. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that process is like and I can't speak to it as well, but I would say just start recording your own stuff. I mean, we, we have all that at our disposal You can put it on your website. You can put it on YouTube, even if it doesn't get picked up. That's yeah, the yeah. way that it does, you know. You're so, still helping someone. Yeah, you're still helping somebody if it even, you know, one person watches it. But uh, if you're looking to get picked up by another company or platform, obviously, it's good to have your own library. So just start creating what you're passionate about, recording it. Um, it doesn't take a ton to have a, a decent quality recording. And then from there, um, you know, people catch on and, and then it snowballs. Yeah, that's a good tip. In your live classes, because obviously you teach regular live classes as well, you uh, you were saying you do vinyasa with a little bit of influence in bhakti and Iyengar. You chant and you play the harmonium, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why do you choose to chant or why why do you think it's important? Mm. We've talked you know, about it- chanting in the podcast for a few episodes now, so I'm just kind of looping it with just to see your experience about it. I love it. You know, if you told me 10 years ago that I would be chanting devotional <laughs> songs and singing my heart out, I would have thought you were totally crazy. And now I literally can't get enough of it. And it's yeah. my morning practice. If I wake up and I have five minutes, I'll play instead of instead of stretch. Um, it's opened up such a different part of the practice to really just like sing out and call from the heart. The bhakti yoga is is just flexing the heart and what we're passionate about and devotion is a muscle it's like you pour it into anything else you do it's the fuel behind it so whether it's you know god or any other interpretation of you know mystical cosmic energy or it's just your family or your kids or your partner you're devoted to um singing and chanting and bhakti is a is a great way to just flex that devotional muscle by pouring your heart's intentions and passions into sounds into vibration into song it charges the body it charges the room with that vibration and then you become i think a little more devoted and heart-centered into everything you do um and just to what we talked about before there's so little that actually ties a 60 or 90 minute class to what to anything of what was actually 
practiced in yoga outside a hundred or a couple hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, these things, it's one of the, you know, original four branches of yoga. And so it's, it's been around a very long time. And so it ties us back to, it's one of the few things that can keep us tied to this tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, Sanskrit's a vibrational technology. So when we share these words, even if we don't totally know or understand them, we get to receive the transmissions um, and, the, and the information that's stored in the, in the sounds. So it's just a really beautiful way to access that too. Um, and it's just so nice. It feels so good. I, I love my classes that sing and I'm, I'm working for the classes that don't sing as much to like find ways to make it fun and approachable. Um, because whatever you want to call out to, it's in these, it's in these sounds. Mm-hmm. You also call yourself a men's work ally. Can you tell us about that? What you're doing and why you think it's important to ally yourself with other men around you? Yeah. Um, I say ally because I, I don't consider myself in a place to, to be like a men's uh, work teacher so far, but I've, I've been studying and doing some courses in the last couple couple years, and I think it's so beneficial and healing. You know, I was talking to a friend, uh, a woman who hosts Women's Circles and Moon Circles a couple years ago, and uh, I think maybe this was even around, you know, the, the Me Too time, and I, I asked her how a conscious, good-intentioned brother can, like, support the women. Like, obviously, I... I I, I want to support women getting together and healing and, and any damage that's been done from living in the patriarchal society that we do. <laughs> and she looks at me and she says, we don't need you to come to our circle. She says, we're over here building our house. You got to get the brothers together to build your house. And when we have houses, then we can come together and build our village. <gasps> and it just, it just really struck me as like, ah, okay. I, 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 this is something I didn't even know that, that needed to be done. But like mm-hmm. the whole... It just seemed natural that women would get together, but it's a little, in a modern context, unnatural for men to get together in the same way. Mm. So I think I think that it's in a really beautiful place. Men are, are looking to, to to reinvent themselves. It's like in this post-feminist wave from like the 90s and so much has happened in women becoming empowered and, and essentially not needing a man uh, to live in the world, which has, you know, historically been the case for most of our years here through, you know, different systems of power, not by any inherent need, but just the way that it was built. And now that we're free of that, I think men are in this place of like, well, good men at least want to allow the rising feminine and the power, power of the woman to, to be, but it's confusing for men. We, we, we lose our power or think mm-hmm. we do in, in a sense, and we want to show up and, you know, women wanted, you know, in the post nineties wave, like more sensitivity. And now men have become, I think a lot of men are so sensitive. Women are also like, well, we want a little bit of that. Like, where's that grunting caveman and like (laughs) want to feel that energy too. So I think from what I talk to men are in this place. So how do we, how do we bring all of that stuff together? How can we be sensitive, open and receptive to the, to the world and, and to our women counterparts and to that energy and still own our strengths to be, to be strong. And what does masculinity even mean, which is another can of worms. So I think, um, I did a men's course with my, my teacher's name, Shems Hartwell. He's an amazing teacher. Um, we're, we're doing a a retreat together in July and he's going to come to San Francisco in, in July and do a workshop for any men, um, as well. And it just made me realize the good medicine that comes from men getting together and mm-hmm. sharing their hearts because we've been taught not to share our hearts and our feelings. And so much of the masculine is bottled up and holding mm-hmm. and the masculine energy is already holding space. So then on top of that, you put in the influence of like, we're, we're kind of space holders and we got to hold our emotions inside. 
So having that conscious connection and sharing what's on our hearts and, and not just like throwing back a bunch of beers and, you know, complaining about shit with your boys, um, to actually have that intentional space, uh, is, is so healing. And I realized it was such good medicine. And then my partner, you know, my, my, my girlfriend would notice the energy that I would come back after having this really healing space with other men and she'd get fired up and be like, Oh, I could feel your masculine energy and you're lit up and you're strong. And it just, it, it accelerated our attraction and helped keep our relationship polarized because we both could be in those places. So I just, mm. just become really passionate about exploring that. And I know that men will come at it from a lot of different angles. Um, and, and mine is simply how can we both men and women thrive on the planet? How can we heal what we're going through and then come together in a place where we're both in power? Um, that's so amazing. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I, I like to do. So I've been hosting men's hikes in San Francisco, um, loosely sharing some of the stuff that I've learned from my teacher about breath and embodiment exercises, but also just really a space for men to get outside any male identifying individuals, um, to share what's on our hearts, just to talk about, you know, the struggles, because that's how we we connect and unify and, and become stronger. Yeah. Man, I feel like we could talk for hours. <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel like I could. would love to share more. We'll do another episode we're sometime. We're going to have to wrap it up. So is there anything else you want to add before we finish? Anything important we didn't get a chance to get to you'd like to mention? Uh, you know, just do your yoga. I'm sure that a lot of people who, who are listening to this podcast are already, you know, it's preaching to the choir. And, and I hope that this stuff reaches people who are not necessarily practicing as much. And I just like to say to those people, like, there's a yoga out there for everybody. Mm. And so if you haven't found or you've been turned off by a class or experience, like keep going, keep practicing, keep searching, because at its core, it's essentially just helping to create an intimate relationship with your own body, breath, and heartbeat. And I think so much of the defragment, the, the, the disassociation and the defragmented world that we live in um, is because we are all over the place. And so any kind of practice you can do that helps you bring yourself into a calm center to help you connect with your body, breath, and heartbeat, it's so healing. And that's what I like to say. Um, keep searching, keep practicing and doing it. And if you're in San Francisco, would love to practice with you. So Um, you know, I teach full time around the city. I have some really exciting retreats coming up. Um, I'm not sure when this will be released, but in July, 4th of July weekend, we're going to Mendocino for a, a couple of days of um, camping, glamping, playing in the river, singing kirtan and doing yoga and hiking. Mm. And then um, next February, we're going to go to uh, Guatemala to like Atitlan and spend a week up there. We'll do some community service and seva. Um, as well as enjoy the magic on the lake. So maybe I get to meet some listeners sometime. Yeah. Uh, I'll put I'd all your info that. in the show notes, but in the meantime, what's the best place for them to find you? Is it directly on your website or is social media a better avenue? It, but, you know, both are great. Jeremy Falk and Jeremy Falk Yoga. My website is jeremyfalk.com and um, Jeremy Falk, F-A-L-K Yoga on the gram. Maybe I'll see you there. It's a nice, nice place to share all this stuff too. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was really lovely chatting with you. Thanks, Erica. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. We have other great guests coming up, including Tiffany Cruikshank, Jane Austen, and Sharon Salzberg. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of these episodes. Now, if you want to make my day, help other people find this podcast and or get your chance to win a $75 shop card from Atlata, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on the podcast app of your iPhone, scroll down on the show's page and click the link, write a review. As you leave your review, you automatically enter a giveaway. You don't need to do anything else. And I announce the winner on the next episode. 
If you're newer to reviews and you'd like an even more detailed instructions, then you can check out the show notes. You'll also find there more info about our guest of today, Jeremy Falk. And you can also visit my website for those two things and tons more at ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast. Our last episode was also supported by Athleta. Thank you so much if you left a review. The winner of that giveaway is user SF Film Fan. SF Film Fan said, Erica's podcast is as good as her in-person yoga classes and body workshops. I've learned life-changing information about how my body works, which has enabled me to achieve better fitness faster and to finally get out of chronic pain. See guys, it's that simple. Thank you so much, SF Film Fan, for your comment. Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I'll send you your shop cards. Special thanks to iTunes user Sarah Lodi as well. Thank you for your comment. Before we go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background, creating the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, guys, thank you for joining us. Until next time. <laughs>